Samuel was looking for another Saul. But God let Samuel know that he was not impressed with looking at outer appearances. For humans look at the outside, but the God who searches intents and motives is always searching on the inside. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Come and join us in the sanctuary as we listen in on a dynamic word from our senior pastor, Dr. Gina M. Stewart. Don't count me out. Touch your friends that don't count me out. Last Monday night, the citizens of Memphis watched with bated breath while the University of Memphis played against Kansas for the NCAA championship. I even rescheduled Bible study so that all of us, including myself, might get a chance to watch this unprecedented event. Although we did not win, it cannot be denied that the University of Memphis basketball team made the city of Memphis proud in ways that cannot be expressed. They gave us bragging rights. Just about every place I went last week or over the last couple of weeks, people were in tiger blue. One one day I was leaving the airport and the whole Northwest counter, including Felicia Lewis, Terry Talley, and Marguerite Elihu, members of our church, had on tiger t-shirts and tiger hats. It cannot be denied that even though the Tigers did not win the championship, that they made the city of Memphis proud. And they put Memphis on the map for something other than being one of the top sinful cities, being one of the places where we are known for obesity, and also being one of the places that has the highest rate of homicide. But I also found it interesting that during the initial stages of the competition, there were those who attempted to characterize the University of Memphis as an inferior team. They said that our team was not talented. They said that we were in an inferior conference. They even said that we didn't have a good coach. Basically, there were some who did not expect much from the University of Memphis. As I reflected on those comments made about our team, it occurred to me that many people held low expectations about the University of Memphis. As I thought deeper about those comments, it also occurred to me that low expectations are a form of bigotry. A bigot is a prejudiced, And prejudice means to judge beforehand. A bigot is a prejudiced person who is intolerant of opinions, lifestyles, and identities that are different from their own. Bigotry is the corresponding ideology that a bigot, a prejudiced person, embraces. Bigot is often used 
as a pejorative term or a term that expresses disapproval or criticism against a person who is obstinately devoted to prejudices even when those views are challenged or proven to be false or those views are not universally applicable or acceptable. The attitude held by some toward the University of Memphis basketball team, I am suggesting was a form of bigotry because it prejudiced them as less capable than the norm and thus unable and incompetent to perform, not only win. In addition, it assigned low expectations to the same team who had an almost winning season at the time with the exception of one game that they lost. In a word, they were counted out and considered to be inferior on the basis of their location, league, and I would even venture to say in some cases, race probably entered into the picture. In our text today, some of us will be surprised to find that King David, who was described by God as a man after God's own heart, a man that was handpicked by God to be the king of Israel, was once counted out because of a bigotry of low expectations. When we read the text, we find that Samuel, the judge of Israel, has become an old man, he is up in age, when he visits Jerusalem, or Bethlehem, I should say, to offer sacrifices. His prophetic visitation stirred fear in the hearts of some of the people in Bethlehem. For Samuel was not known for occasional or casual drop-in visits. They knew that whenever the prophet and the judge Samuel showed up, there was always the expectation that some misdoing had occurred. But their anticipation or anxiety quickly gave way to anticipation as Samuel informed them that this time he had come to Jerusalem on a different order of business. He had come to, I keep saying Jerusalem, he had come to Bethlehem to lead them in festive worship. As it turned out, there was more to Samuel's visit than a village-wide celebration for the people of God. Samuel was on a serious assignment because a local farmer named Jesse had been singled out for special attention. Samuel came to Bethlehem because he was looking for a replacement for King Saul. King Saul, Israel's first king, had been rejected by God for his disobedience and self-absorption. And Samuel had been instructed to go to Jesse's house because it would be at Jesse's house that Samuel would anoint Israel's next king. Having located Jesse and his sons, Jesse brought his sons before Samuel for examination. We just read the text. We see where the selection process began and each brother was paraded past Samuel. Eliab, it's in the text. The oldest son was the first candidate. 
And I might add, based on the culture, the most likely choice. He was the firstborn. He was rugged. He was handsome. He was good looking. And he was the natural choice for king. On the surface, it would appear that Eliab was the ideal candidate for the assignment. But Samuel had a God-trained prophetic eye. And his God-trained prophetic eye penetrated the surface of Eliab's exterior to examine Eliab's interior. And when Samuel looked past the surface, the Lord revealed to Samuel that while Eliab looked good on the outside, while he may have looked like a king on the outside, there was no king material on the inside. Samuel was looking for another Saul. But God let Samuel know that he was not impressed with looking at outer appearances. For humans look at the outside, but the God who searches intents and motives is always searching on the inside. After Eliab passed before Samuel, two more sons, Abinadab and Shammah, also called Shimea, were paraded past Samuel. But each time, Samuel received a negative revelation about both of the candidates. After the third son, the Bible stops naming. Doesn't even give us any more names. But Samuel continues to examine every son until he has interviewed seven of Jesse's eight sons. But each time he looked at a son, the Lord said, no, this one ain't the one. When the interviews had ended with no apparent viable candidate, it looked like Samuel had made a wasted trip. The show was over. Jesse was probably disappointed and Samuel was bewildered. His opportunity to have a king from his lineage looked like it was just about to be lost. On the surface, it appeared that Samuel would leave Bethlehem without completing the assignment of finding a king. The Lord had said that he had found a king in Bethlehem. But from the selection that Samuel had, no king was to be found. But as it turns out, if you keep reading the story, and now as everybody who is acquainted with scripture knows, there was more than the seven sons. There was another son that was never invited to the selection process. David, the shepherd boy. He enters the story in an interesting way. The way the text, he is described initially by his father, he enters into the story unnamed, dismissively referred to as the baby brother. In Hebrew, he's referred to as the youngest. They ask, Samuel asks, are these the only sons you have? And they reply, well, there's one more son. But he's out tending sheep. The Hebrew word used to describe David as the youngest son in the Hebrew translates to carry undertones, don't miss this, 
of insignificance, not counting for very much. They were suggesting that David was the family runt. His father's condescending opinion of him, which was probably shared by his brothers as well, is confirmed by the job that he had. He had been assigned the job of tending sheep. And tending sheep was one of the least demanding jobs on a farm. In other words, it was the place where the least amount of damage could be done. Since David was out of the way, he was out of sight, and also, in a way, out of mind, ignored as he tended sheep. Nobody brought thought to invite David to come to Bethlehem that day but God. Can I put a pen right there and tell you God knows where you are? And when it's your time, he knows how to find you. Even if nobody invites you, I can't get nobody to help me. If nobody thinks enough of you to invite you to the selection process, you don't have to be anybody's idea but God's. And if you own God's mind, God knows where to find you. And when the time is right, I wish I had some help. He knows how to bring you in and move you up. God help me here from the back of the line to the front of the line. This is an old story. Tell somebody say it's an old story. But it is highly possible that even though this is an old story, this is a story that many of us can identify with. I sub submit to you that for many of us in this room, we are not Eliab, we are not Abinadab, we are not Shema or Shimea, we are David. For many of us in this room have experienced the bigotry of low expectations that stems from an ideology that we are insignificant, that we are inferior, and that we do not count. Many of us in this sanctuary have been counted out from the pulpit to the pew, from the choir stand to the audience. We've been counted out, not necessarily because we don't have value, not because we've not been created in the image of Almighty God, but we've been counted out because in the eyes of others, for whatever reasons, we have been considered to be non-entities. We have considered to be insignificant. We have considered to be lacking in value and lacking in worth. Jesse, David's father, don't miss this, didn't even bother to present his own son as a candidate for king. Because in Jesse's mind and in David's brother's minds, based on the way they described him, David was a non-entity. In their minds, David was somebody at the bottom who did not qualify for the top position. Furthermore, according to the codes of the culture, the obvious choice would have been and should have been the oldest brother. Not just because he was handsome. Touch somebody said, cute will help you sometime, but not all the time. <laughs> not just because he was handsome, but because he was the firstborn. And firstborn in that culture were the preeminent ones. One of the lessons that we can take away from this text is that we still live in a world 
where people will count us out. Oh, come on. Some of us suffer from low self-esteem now because people have counted us out. Many of us suffer from low self-worth and inferiority complexes because throughout our lives, we have been counted out. We were the last ones they chose to play on the baseball team. We were the first ones they cut from the basketball team. We were the ones that never got invited to the parties. We were the ones who were always left out and counted among the marginalized, the peripheral, and those who were pushed to the margins. Many of us got attitudes now, and we are easily offended. A lot of times we think that people are overlooking us when they're not even thinking about us because we've been counted out so much that we automatically expect that whoever we come in contact with is on an assignment to X us out of reality. Come on, be real up in here and tell the truth that all of us have had experiences where we have been counted out. We've been considered to be inferior. We've been considered to be ill-equipped and we've been marginalized, pushed to the periphery and viewed as inferior. Some of us have been counted out because we're black. Some of us have been counted out because we're female. Some of us have been counted out because we're black and female. Some of us have been counted out because we are poor. We're in the wrong socioeconomic class. Some of us have been counted out because we're black, we're poor, and we're male or female. The poor are counted out. The homeless are counted out. The hungry are counted out. The disabled are counted out. The incarcerated are counted out. Children are counted out. Minorities are counted out. Asians are counted out. Hispanics are counted out. And immigrants are often counted out. Because we live in a world that will count you out. Not because you're inferior, not because you are second class, not always because you're incompetent, but because people often have a tendency to view us through the lenses of their own biases and then assign expectations to us. Help me preach this Holy Ghost that are consistent with those biases. In other words, we look at your cover and decide what's in your book. But you ought to slap your neighbor and tell them my cover might be raggedy. But I came to tell you that you can't always judge a book by its cover. I wish I could get somebody to bless God. My cover might not look like much to you. But I came on assignment to tell somebody today. That just because my cover doesn't look like your cover and just because you don't like my cover don't mess around and count me out people God help me preach this will count us out took your friend and said folk will count you out and let me tell you something else they're not gonna stop counting you out cuz you get filled with the Holy Ghost they're not going to stop counting you out because you go to church. They're 
not gonna stop counting you out because you decide to live holy. Folk don't care nothing about you living holy. They don't care nothing about you going to church. They don't care nothing about you being spirit-filled. You can have all of that. And folk will still. Ain't nobody gonna help me, but that's all right. They will still count you out. You can have more degrees than a thermometer. And they'll still count you out. You can have money in the bank. You can be fine and fit with, to be with. You can be cute. You can be successful. You can have the world in the jug and the stopper in your hand. And somebody will find a reason to push you to the edge. Oh, but I came to help somebody today. You ought to touch somebody and say, but don't count me out, baby. Because, see, David was nobody's idea but God's. And I've come to tell somebody that you can get healed from low self-esteem. You can get healed from low self-worth. You can get healed from trying to impress other folk. If you would just figure out and get it through your head that even if folk don't count you in, God will count you in. I wish I could get somebody to just go into a shout right there and tell God thank you. Thank you for joining our podcast. We pray that you were tremendously blessed by the word. Like what you've heard? You can purchase this message by visiting www.christmbc.org store or by emailing us at orders at christmbc.org. Be sure to mention the title of the message. We are one church in two locations. Join us at one of our two locations at 8 a.m. at our east location at the Esplanade Memphis located at 901 Cordova Station, Cordova, Tennessee 38018 or at 10 a.m. at our south location located at 480 South Parkway East, Memphis, Tennessee 38106. May God continue to bless you is our prayer.